Will you turn your, your Bible with me, please, to John chapter 11? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Williams family, great to see you. Are you doing well? It's great to see you. We love you guys. If you're a guest with us today um, and you don't know, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor, and we love Jesus, and we love his word, and we love people. As we're looking at John chapter 11 today, we're picking up a story, and we're going to do a good bit of Bible reading, so just bear with me because it's a, a long story here. Man, the Bible's so good, isn't it? Um, we're picking up the story here, and Jesus has healed a blind man who was blind from birth. This has caused quite a kerfuffle around the town because uh, he's being questioned. This blind man is being questioned as to what happened. And Jesus takes this opportunity to tell the people some, bl some blunt truths. One of those blunt truths that he tells the people is that he's the good shepherd, and he's the one who's going to bring them into eternal life, and that they need to follow him and believe in him, and that he's shepherding them, and he's the leader, and he's the authority. He also goes on, especially to tell the Pharisees and all the people who are gathered, that he and the Father are one, and that he's doing what the Father's told him to, and that he knows the Father, and he comes from the Father. And in essence, he's telling them, hey, listen, I'm God, and you're trying to serve me. I'm him. And so their response to that is to pick up stones to try to kill him. And they're upset about this. The problem is, first of all, he sort of miraculously just walks away. And they can't figure out how he escaped. But he's God, so he can do that. Secondly, uh, they are wanting to kill him based on uh, his words. But they can't get past the fact that he's doing all these things. He's healing all kind of people. He's casting out demons. He has authority everywhere. He has authority over nature. He can heal a man who's been born blind that he can see. Nobody can do that. That's never happened before. And the guy's testimony is, I met the Lord. Lord meaning owner. I met the owner. I met God. And so the people are stymied by what to do. And the Jews, as they're, as they're meeting, the Pharisees, the leaders, these are the religious leaders, are actually talking about what will happen if people keep believing in Jesus. And what will happen if he keeps doing these miraculous things and all the people rally to him, the Romans are going to take away our authority because they're going to notice that Jesus is really the leader around here and not us. And that's going to mess up the balance of power. And then what will the Romans do? Because this Jesus guy is talking about love your enemies. And the Romans are going to come in and kill everybody. They even come down to the fact that probably it's better for one person to die for everybody than for everybody to suffer. So they make plans at this point, we need to kill Jesus. Things are not easy right now for the Lord. So he goes away and he goes back to the area where John the Baptist had been baptizing, which is an a amazing historic area because that same area is the area where Joshua crossed over into the Promised Land. It's the same area where Elijah and Elisha had parted the waters. It's the same area where God's done lots of things, and Jesus is sort of hiding out there. Hiding out is the wrong word. He's hanging out, teaching the disciples, waiting for his time. And then we pick up this story in John chapter 11 about his friend Lazarus. Let's read it together. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, means teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, but because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Praise the Lord for his word. Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So when he heard, verse 6, that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place he was. What a weird verse. If you heard that one of your closest friends that you loved, and everybody, you know, did you notice how many times the word love is in there? The one who you love is ill. And now Jesus loved them. When he heard that the one he loved was ill, he stayed. That doesn't make sense, does it? Usually, if people, you hear that a family member or a really close friend is sick, your first inclination is, I'll be there right away. But Jesus waits two extra days before he journeys over to see him. And somehow, miraculously in the spirit, he knows that Lazarus has died. And so he tells his disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go wake him up. And their response is funny, isn't it? He'll be fine. He's sleeping. It's great. Don't worry about it. Why are they so nervous? Because they were just in this situation in the same area, two miles away from the area they were in, where the Jews had picked up rocks and stoned them. Now, that's an old way of punishment. But basically, what that means is people picked up rocks to throw them at you until you were beat to death by the rocks. And then hopefully, bury you in the rocks so they don't have to touch your corpse. That's stoning, and it's not pretty. It's not good. What a terrible way to die. I mean, it's, it's awful, isn't it? And it's everybody throwing rocks at you. This is not a playground, oh, we're going to stone you, and somebody chucks a little pebble. These are people trying to crush you with a rock. And so that's what Jesus just walked out of. And it was miraculous because after he had told the people, the Father and I are one. I'm here. I'm here to save you. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the Christ you're waiting for. I'm God. As soon as he said those things, they picked up those rocks ready to kill him. And somehow Jesus slipped away. But somehow, I mean, could you imagine being a disciple? If Jesus dies, you're dead. You're done because you walked with him. This isn't, these are high stakes right now. But also beyond that, somehow Jesus just walked away and people didn't kill him. That's wild, first of all. And so now the disciples are with him, and they're like, whew, we're in the wilderness. We're kind of out here a little ways. You know, John the Baptist was eating a lot of bugs out here. That's kind of weird. So the cuisine's not the best. The restaurants don't have four-star Yelp reviews. However, nobody's trying to kill us here. And the people who are coming out because it's so far away are the people who want to know Jesus and want to hear from him. So, like, I'm popular here. This is great. Everything is safe and secure here, but also I'm good here. 
And now Jesus is saying, let's go back to that same place. And the disciples are saying, Lord, if we go back there, we're going to die. You understand that. And Jesus says, no, no, he's, Lazarus is dead. Just come with me. You need this to believe. And so here's Thomas. You know, Thomas gets a bad reputation. What's Thomas known for? He's the doubter, right? Doubting Thomas. Unless I can touch the holes in his hands, unless I can feel the gouge in his side, I will not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That's Thomas. But Thomas is also the first one to stand up and say, let's go, guys. I'm ready to die. Are you? It's, it's bold. So the disciples understand when they leave here, they're leaving thinking they're going to their death. Now, when they say, let us go also that we may die with him, who are they talking about? Jesus, yes, but Lazarus is dead. And Jesus is going to go, in the disciples' minds, Jesus is going to go pay his respects at the cost of his life. And we're ready to follow you. The cost of discipleship is high. Verse 17 now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Verse 19, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went on to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who's coming into the world. What a statement. When, Jesus, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come here and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Wow. What a weird moment. This is the Sunday school child's favorite verse. Jesus wept. I, uh, I used to be a police officer once upon a time and uh, in the military and doing things. Uh, I was a military police officer, and um, we had a lot of weird situations to go into. 
And um, there were very few times where I had to deal with somebody who had died, but those times are big and emotional. And whenever you have to deal with a person who has passed away and um, identifications and all this kind of stuff, it's very difficult. Now think about what we do in funerals. Sometimes there are those open caskets, right? So you can pay your respects. The person always looks plastic, don't they? They always do. Now in this time period, they don't look plastic. Did you know, weird aside, different sermon altogether, but just funny, um, embalmers use 50% less embalming fluid nowadays because there are so many preservatives in people than they did in 1950. Isn't that weird? Anyway, a little tidbit for you, a little tidbit. Lighten the mood a little bit. <laughs> but here's Jesus, he comes. And he's not coming to a scene that's happy. Now, are the people happy to see him? Of course, they're relieved. And Martha and Mary, they love him. And Martha declares that he's the Christ. That word Christ is a, a title. It's from a, a Greek word. It's the Messiah. It's the promised Savior of Israel. It's the one whom all the prophets had talked about. It's the one that was promised this person is coming who's going to save God's people. That's what Christ means. It's an office. And it means that this person is going to be the king and the ruler. And so she declares, I know you're the promised Christ. Now, how can she say this? How does she know? Well, she's seen him do all this stuff. She's been around him. She has a relationship with him, a good relationship. They're friends. You know, so there's, there's love in the sense, not romantic, but love in the sense that they're together. And so the family all together knows Jesus, and she has sat at his feet before. And she knows in her spirit, this has not been revealed to her by flesh and blood. She knows from God, he's the Christ. And the first thing she says to him is not, I'm so glad you're here, everything's better. The first thing she says to him is, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. And that's probably true. And did you get my message? I sent it a while ago while he was ill. And probably that conversation is not recorded, but he said, yeah, I waited two days. Uh, oh, okay. It's a weird thing, isn't it? But God's doing something here. And so Jesus goes and he stays in this place really that he's met Martha outside the village. Martha runs and finds Mary and Mary comes and she's weeping at his feet. And think about any of those funerals where you've seen those plastic bodies. It's bad. This is bad. And what does Jesus do? Does he stand there like stoic? What would a king do? Did you know that when Princess Diana died, the princess of Wales or England or whatever it is, her children were instructed that they could not cry on camera? They had to stand? What's our famous picture of JFK after he was assassinated and you see his son saluting? You don't see him crying. Princes don't cry. Politicians don't cry. Leaders don't cry. You lead. And here's Jesus. He's the ruler of the world. Martha has just proclaimed, you are the promised king who is coming. And whatever you do, God listens to you. And I trust you. I trust you completely. Life and death, I trust you. Thomas has said, I'll go with you to my death if that's what you ask. And now Jesus is standing and he's by the tomb and he has Mary with him and he sees the people. And what does he do? He weeps because he's really a person. He's not some stoic king who doesn't have any feelings. 
And he waited two days. He knew what was going to happen. He knew in the spirit that Lazarus was going to be dead when he found him. But still, still he weeps. Why does he do that? Did you know that the, the evil he's seeing his people go through, it affects him? He really, he, God's going to be glorified here. And he will be glorified. And also his heart breaks for the people. Because this enemy has taken his friend. That enemy is death. And that enemy is far too strong for any person to conquer. And Jesus, now seeing all that, doesn't just brush aside and do the miracle quickly. He rests in this moment of weeping with his friends. That's your Savior. Your Savior is not one who just stoically shows up and says, suck it up. Salute at the casket. What are you doing? You're supposed to be a prince. Your Savior is one who enters in and weeps with those who weeps and mourns with those who mourns. And he knows the plan better than we do. And in all our questions and things we can't understand, he knows and yet he still has a broken heart for us. And we'll still be glorified too. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Is the Jesus that you serve, you know, I've heard that song in the radio, let me tell you about my Jesus. I don't like that song because it's, I wish they had said, I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus. Because my Jesus can be anything you want. Having said that, it's a great song. Not against it. If you're singing it in the hallway, I'm going to be like, I'll join in. It's a fun song. It's great, right? I have no critique of it in that sense. But I'm saying that because to you now, Christians, is your Jesus this Jesus? Or is your Jesus one who doesn't really hear your prayers? Or is one that you do transactions with? Lord, I prayed. I stamped it. Um, I had a registered letter to you two days ago to tell you my brother was ill, and um, you decided to wait. So I'm going to chalk that up on you owe me side. Um, you know, this is how we interact with God a lot. Instead of a savior who weeps with us before he does the miracle. We know what's about to happen, don't we? And it's amazing. It's incredible. It's beyond anything that the people have seen before. But before that happens, Jesus weeps with them. He's so good. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's so perfect. He's not one who just throws us out there and does nothing. You know, we're supposed to be like him, aren't we? Here's the big question today in this sermon as we're looking at this. How do we seek God when we're surrounded by heartbreak? How do we seek God when we're surrounded by heartbreak? Because there's things that Jesus knows that we don't know. And Mary and Martha are coming to themselves. Mary comes and throws herself down at the feet of Jesus. This is the same Mary had told us who's going to anoint Jesus' feet just a couple chapters from now. She'll anoint Jesus' feet with 300 denarii. This is a fortune's worth of perfume and wipe his feet with her own hair because she loves Jesus. This is the same Mary who now is thrown at his feet in her moment of greatest need because her brother has died. You know, these are somehow influential people. Um, if you, I mean, for four days now, people have been around the house and they're mourning and they're doing all these things. This is not somebody that they went to the funeral and nobody came back. And so there's a lot of people there. There's a lot going on. You know, I was in Africa in 2016 in our institute teaching some, some pastors there. It was a great trip. And while we were there, the deacon of the church in Livingstone, his, uh, his mother-in-law passed away. 
And people came in busloads from everywhere for one week to stay on his front lawn. They had to pitch tents, big tents, on the front lawn of his house to house all the people who would just be there. Because in Africa, which is similar to this, when somebody dies, they just come for a week to be there. And they just sleep where they sleep. It's really wild. It's an amazing outpouring of love. Um, it's also challenging because now your whole house is, I mean, there were hundreds of people just everywhere. And you got to feed them and figure it out and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, it's, it's challenging. But at the same time, boy, the community comes together in a way that we do not understand. Because if the funeral for us takes more than 30 minutes, we're like, man, I got a reservation at Applebee's. It's I'm getting pretty close here. <laughs> OK. Did you get my flowers? OK, good. That's pretty much how it works. But in this time period, they're mourning and weeping. And you know, there's even professional mourners that you could pay to, to show people how important this person was. And Jesus is not a professional mourner. He's not coming to make sure they got the flowers. He's not coming to make sure they saw him. He's coming to them. How do you see God in the midst of heartbreak? The first thing is he comes to us. And he enters into our heartbreak in a way that we can never understand. And that's good. Because the Bible says that he will never leave us or forsake us. Even in the moments that are the most difficult, he never leaves us or forsakes us. Praise God for that. So how do we seek him? Recognize when he comes to us first. Let's read on in the story. We're going to start at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, um, by this time, there, there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out. His hands and his feet were bound with linen strips. His face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Do you know why Jesus had to say that? Because they all stood there stunned. He's hopping out like a mummy. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, you can untie him any time. It's cool. Because they're all, he's been dead four days. And if he wasn't dead somehow, when we wrapped his whole face and wrapped him in the linens and bound him, that was four days ago with no food and water in a cave. And it smelled. We know it will smell. You ever been around that stench? Like you find an animal, you're on a hike, and it's like, oh, this is great, greatest hike ever. And you're going, and you're hiking, and then, poo, you get hit with that smell, like something died here. Or you open up your fridge, and it's been like vacation, and you forgot. You're like, oh, and it just smacks you in the face. You know, the weirdest thing about that smell is it sticks with you. 
Like a day later, you're like, get out of my nose. It's a weird smell, isn't it? They know that smell. You know, around Jesus, that smell dissipates. He doesn't smell like that. You know how Jesus smells? He smells like a garden. Now, he's a man. He might have had some body odor. They didn't really have deodorant at this time period, right? So he's a person. But, man, everything around him, it smells so good. But, boy, that smell, if you can avoid it, especially with the professional mourners and all the people watching and all the, that would be best to avoid. And Jesus says to Martha, take the stone away. Martha, oh, I mean, I will if you ask me to, but it's going to be rough. And they do it. How do you seek Jesus in the middle of heartbreak? Do whatever he says. Just do whatever he says. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Just do whatever he says. Now, there's a difference sometimes between things we want and what he says, especially in the midst of heartbreak. Sometimes the things we want and we do out of grief, you know, they tell you, I've told people in the middle of, of difficult moments, don't sell anything today. Don't buy anything today. It's not a day to do business. Because people in their grief, you know, my, my grandparents passed away in 2008, um, 10 days apart from each other. And they both had weird heart things happen very randomly. And uh, my uncle, in his grief, he decided he was going to redo the deck. And so the day my grandmother died, he tore the entire deck of their house off to redo it. Because he, cause he, he has to do something. And we all understand that, don't we? We all understand that feeling of, I have to do something. And so he put his muscles to work and ripped all of the boards. And they needed, it needed to be replaced, so it was what he was doing. But then walk out, and it's like half deck. And it was, he ran out of gas at like 1 in the morning. And it's done. You know, it's not finished. It was like half. But all the damage had been done, if you will. And that tends to be our reaction. But that's not Jesus' reaction. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do what he says. And so if he says to do something, we do it, even if it doesn't make sense. Why? Because he's glorified through the things he does. And he's glorified through our obedience. And so Jesus moves the stone aside. Before that, he prays this weird prayer. And you notice he doesn't pray to whip himself up. I'm going to get myself in the right mojo here because we're going to do the miracle. He doesn't do that. Right? He doesn't pace for 10 minutes. What does he pray? What does he pray? Yeah. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. That was the prayer. And then he says for the people to God, but listening, I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of these guys. So that they're going to know and believe that you sent me. All right, let's do it. Move the stone. That's what he does. You know, it's interesting how he does that because Jesus doesn't need to whip himself up. He doesn't need to get himself into the miracle moment. He doesn't need the music playing the right way. There's no organist there. There's nobody with a soft acoustic guitar. There's no prayer meeting ready to happen. There's no offering basket going around. There's none of that. Instead, he just brings life into death. How can he do that? Because he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And understand, the disciples are standing there. The stone's been rolled away. And Thomas has led them to say, we're ready to die with Jesus. They're waiting for the rocks to fly at any moment. When the stone starts to roll away, I can't help but think, are they wondering if this will be their tomb too? Because if the crowds find out that he's there, they are dead men. 
and the disciples are just along for the ride at this point. But Jesus says, so that you would believe that God sent me. Watch this. Lazarus, come on, let's go. What are you doing? And here comes Lazarus hobbling out. How long did it take him to stand up? A while, right? I wonder, I, I wonder if, I wonder if just Jesus standing there, he rose from the dead and he's in there like, hello? It doesn't tell us the exact moment he came to life, does it? But I'm telling you, when Jesus shows up, life just comes out of everything because he's the Lord and he's good. And I'm telling you too, for the disciples watching, what do they believe now? The Father has sent the Son, surely. But also, in him is the only way to live. You cannot have life without Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible tells us that we're more like Lazarus than the disciples in this story. If we were in the story and it was us and we were there, we'd be Lazarus in the tomb. Because the Bible tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. We are unable to please God. We are enemies of God. We are under the condemnation and wrath of God apart from Christ. And until we hear his voice call us and say, come out, we are hopeless without Jesus. But this story shows us that he has the power to raise people from the dead. And why does he do it? Because he loves Lazarus. And because the father told him to. Did you know what he said just two chapters prior? I will not lose one sheep that the father gives me. I'm the good shepherd. You can trust me. And now Mary and Martha are seeing with their eyes, witnessing that they can trust him. And in the moment of heartbreak, as they're seeking him and seeing the miracle happen, something else solidifies in them. Something else that causes Mary to take her life savings and dump it on Jesus' feet. Because there is nothing of value in this world apart from knowing him and serving him and seeing him and knowing life in him. I can't do it myself. I'm dead in my trespasses. Lord, I need you. I need you and your life. And God sent this man, the God-man, his son, to the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sins and put him in a tomb for us for three days. And then he rose to life. And the Bible tells us that when he rose, he defeated this enemy of sin and this enemy of death that we cannot defeat. And by faith, we say, Lord, when you rose, I rose. Did you know that Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe that God rose Jesus from the dead, you will be saved from your trespasses. Believing in him and believing in his resurrection, that's the gospel. Because once you know his life, once you've tasted his life, once you've seen him, once you've heard his prayers, once you've just smelled the garden of who he is, everything in your life changes. And it's not because of us. It's not because we said, Lord, I'm good enough. You're getting a good deal with me. It's not because you said, Lord, I'll tithe this much. Oh, Lord, I won't curse anymore. Cigarettes won't rule me anymore if you're my king. It's not because of any of those things. It's because he loved you and called you. And the father said, that one's mine. And Jesus said, I won't lose any sheep that you give me. And you are his. And he raised you to life with Christ Jesus and seated you with him in heavenly places that you would know him forever. And then with him now, we walk through heartbreak. We walk through difficulty. We walk through suffering. We walk through great times. We walk through rejoicing. We walk through success. We walk through failure. We walk through all those things with him because he's with us. Because he's put his spirit in us. Because he will never fail us. Because he will never leave us. How do we seek God? 
in the midst of heartbreak. Just seek him. There's no magic formula. We make it so hard. And in the moment, we're thrown down and we say, Lord, why have you forgotten me? And instead, I'm telling you, he didn't forget you. He loved you so much, he caused you to be united to Christ with him, that you would be raised to life with him. And if you can say Jesus is Lord, the Bible says that's from the Holy Spirit. If you can say Jesus is Lord, you are his. And then we take all that heartbreak and we say, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And he says, watch what I'm about to do. You know, sometimes God takes us through things that are so difficult for the sake of other people. Because the disciples are standing there watching. You know, they're going to watch him die. Peter is going to deny him. Thomas, who's ready to go to his death, is going to say, I've been there, guys. I've done that unless I can see him, unless I touch it with my own hands. I, I don't know. And God even shows up. He says, Thomas, feel that. Here you go. Touch it. Thomas, you know what he says? My Lord and my God. He doesn't touch. He just throws himself to the ground just like Mary. And Martha, who already knew it. How amazing. This is the God we serve. This is Jesus. And our hearts are burning to seek him because he is life, aren't they? There's three things that we can do as we seek Jesus. Number one, he seeks us. He seeks us out. He's good. He's already with us. So go immediately to him like Martha did. Don't wait. We tend to wait and to wallow in our feelings first and cry out to God, but not to come to him. There's a difference between saying, oh, God, why'd you do this? And saying, Lord, I need you and coming straight to him. Be quick. Come to Jesus, number one. The second thing that he tells Martha and he tells the disciples, he tells everybody, is believe. Believe in Jesus. He's good. He is our salvation. Believe. You know, if you come to him and there's junk in your life, the Bible tells us, as I said before, if you believe in his resurrection, you'll be saved. You also need to repent. Part of repenting, that means turning away from the junk and trusting him to walk his way to walk to him, to do what he says. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Part of repenting, though, is believing, Lord, you have cleansed me, and I know I'm forgiven in you. A lot of Christians go through life not actually believing that it's enough to just believe. And they spend their whole life trying to add to their salvation. And we're not talking about adding in terms of honoring Jesus and doing what he says. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying this idea of, unless I'm good enough, God won't actually hear my prayers. Unless I'm good enough, God won't actually show up for me. Unless I can prove that I'm worthy, he won't really forgive me. Because if he knew, if he knew how corrupt I really was, if they knew, I wouldn't be accepted. And I'm telling you from the word of God, believe, just surrender. That's another word that you, you could really, there's synonymous in this case. Surrender yourself. Lord, I trust you. Amen. Lord, I need you. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I'm yours. I'm going to walk your way. Lord, I know I fail all the time and mess up. Make me like you. Lord, I trust you. I'll do whatever you say. And that's really the last thing. Do whatever he says. What kind of things do you think he will tell you to do? 
A lot of preachers would like you to believe that it's emptying your wallet right now. It's not true. You can empty the account book of your heart, though, if that makes sense. What does he want? What did Paul tell us? What's the spiritual act of worship? It's putting yourself on the altar and saying, Lord, I'm yours. Body, soul, everything I have, I'm yours. And say, Lord, I have nothing apart from you. Here I am. What does God require? He requires everything. And you don't need to empty your wallet right now. In fact, I hope your wallet's totally filled. Praise God. Take somebody to lunch. It's great. It's not about those things. It's about serving Jesus. It's about knowing his life. Because now God has anointed you as a resurrected person, spiritually, to be his, filled with his spirit, that you will go forth and everywhere you go, it smells like a garden. Because ready? He is with you. He's filled you with power. Jesus said, these and more you will do as my witnesses. What a great God we serve who has filled us with himself, that we can know him and serve him, and everywhere we go, we're his ambassador, and we represent him, and we trust him, and like Thomas, we set ourselves to say, Lord, even if it's my life, everything I have is yours, I'll follow you anywhere. Because that's the call of the Christian. Amen? But I'm telling you, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's a good king. So this morning, as we see God, if you find yourself in a place of heartbreak, if you find yourself surrounded by smells that you can't get rid of. Smell the garden for a minute. Say, Lord, I need you. And open your eyes to see he's never left you. He's never abandoned you. He holds you and say, Lord, I trust you and I believe you that you do love me and that I am yours. Give him yourself and put yourself quickly on the altar to say, Lord, I'm yours. Do whatever he says and you will find that your whole life is filled with life and with garden smells and not with stench. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you that you are so good. Lord, thank you for your life. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that as we come before you, Lord, you have cleansed us of all unrighteousness as we confess our sins to you. Thank you that you've filled us with power by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've made us your ambassadors. Thank you, Father, that we have such a heritage to read these stories and see what you've done. Lord, we trust you. And Father, I pray as each person goes forth from this place that they will be filled with your might. Lord, fill their nostrils with the smell of the garden. Father, anyone who's walking in the midst of death right now, in the midst of heartbreak, Lord, I pray that great healer, you will remind them of the great heritage of love and grace and life that they already have. And that you will demonstrate your power in their life by bringing to life things that may be already dead. Lord, your resurrection power is enough. If you rose Jesus from the dead, then there is nothing in this life that cannot be resurrected again. And so, God of restoration, we trust you. We look to you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. May the call of the Father be heavy upon your heart as you look to him. May the champion Jesus be ever fixed in your eyes that you would see him and know that you are secure in him. And may the great power of the Holy Spirit, who is with you and who will never leave you, fill you and enable you to do these and even more in Jesus' name. God bless you today. Have a great day. Bless you.